Welcome, or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Rootspace Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, another way of looking at the Cubs trades and ask me questions if I was confusing. Another way of looking at the Cubs trades, I am constantly on the prowl for trying to find a better analogy for the Cubs trades. For some people, it just hasn't registered yet that over the long haul, this is probably a good thing. Some people probably realize that, but they just don't want it to be the case. They just don't want it to be the case. And I keep looking for a better analogy. Now, there's not going to be one analogy that's going to sell it with everyone. There's not going to be one analogy that's going to get even the most hardcore opponent to any of the Cubs trades or all of the Cubs trades or anything along those lines. I'm not going to be able to find that one thing that's going to get the most hardcore opponent of the Cubs traits. I'm not going to find that one. But if I can find one thing that works with 8% of the people, and another analogy that works with 4% of the people, and another analogy that works with 11% of the people, eventually the numbers start to get big enough so most of the people can understand, most of the people can realize something that they're probably going to realize in three years anyway. You know, I kind of hated trading away Baez and Rizzo and Bryant. Been the long haul, it was probably a good idea. Just like back when in the day when the Cubs traded Scott Feldman. I don't know, maybe there's somebody who actually liked Scott Feldman. No, don't trade Scott Feldman. Well, the Cubs got good return for Scott Feldman, Pedro Strope, Jake Arrieta. That's kind of a good trade. I want people to have better examples of why. The trades made sense. Long term, the trades made sense. And maybe you listen to my analogy. You add a little bit to it, change it a little bit, and you're off talking with somebody at work or at a bar or at a show or, a, you know, wh wherever it is. Oh, I hate those Cubs trades and da 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 And as they're going off on their rant, you ask them, have you ever sold, sold a, a share of stock or bought a share of stock? you ever bought a share of stock? That's my question for the day. Have you ever bought a share of stock? It happens all the time. It's a large part of what our economy is based on. Someone decides, I want to go out and buy 30 shares of McDonald's today, or I want to go out and buy 30 shares of British Petroleum today. Here, we're, the, the one person is willing to offer money to another person to buy their share of stock. And life continues. And 
a share of stock is generally considered a long-term investment. Sometimes it can be a short-term investment. But what I'm going with today is a fictitious company. I'm guessing it's fictitious. I haven't checked on my Google machine to see if there is a, a company thusly named. I, I, but I'm going to walk you through something that I might possibly do or might have possibly done in the days when I was paying a whole lot of attention to the stock market. The fictitious company I'm coming up with is Strideville. Strideville with an L-L-E at the end. So Strideville is selling at whatever time you're listening to this podcast for $41.37 per share. Forty-one thirty-seven. I do all the due diligence. I look into their history. I look into their um, corporate front office. I look into their dividend payments. Their just just all the everything. Their their fiscal responsibility, all that kind of stuff. I look at Strideville and I say, you know what? I'm going to buy shares of Strideville. I'm going to buy shares of Strideville. So I plunk down some money and end up buying shares of Strideville. The listing, as of when you're listening to this podcast, is 41.37. Maybe I got for a little bit lower than that. Maybe I got for a little bit higher than that. But I bought 25 shares of Strideville. Why did I do that? Because at the time, to me, buying 25 shares of Strideville made more sense than not buying 25 shares of Strideville. I could have bought another, I, I could have bought a different, bought into a different company. I could have bought a rival of Strideville's. I could have decided I'm going to buy, uh, buy shares of another stock. I could have decided, you know what, I'm going to go out and buy a boat instead but i decided you know what i'm going to buy strideville i've done all the homework i've done all the research and as of right now as of this very moment buying shares of strideville is the most logical thing to do so i buy shares of strideville and all the information at the time I'm buying the 25 shares of Strideville made absolute sense. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. If it was a case of, well, I like this part and this part about Strideville, but there, there, there's that other thing. It's really scary. and I. But even though there's that really scary thing, I'm still going to buy the shares of stock. Yeah, I guess I could do it that way. But the reason I bought the shares of the stock was because, to me, at the time, it made sense. It was a better idea to buy shares of Strideville than not buy shares of Strideville. That's what it boils to. Everything at the time made sense. Now, off on into the future. You might want to jump six years down the line, or 14 years down the line, or two and a half years down the line. Now, I bought it. Let's say it was at 41.37. And in two years, 
Strideville is up to $65 a share. I have made an absolute killing on Strideville. Why didn't I buy more shares? I should have bought, bought 75 shares. I didn't know that. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't have absolute, total, and complete knowledge of the future at the time that I decided to buy Strideville. Maybe, 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 maybe. Strideville goes from 41.37 when I bought it. In two years, it's down to $17.94. Why the heck did you buy that stupid share those stupid shares of Strideville? They were terrible. You should have known that. Well, all you can know is what you know on the day of the exchange. I knew what I knew. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to try to do it. It's going to either go up or down. Actually, it's probably going to do both. It's probably going to go from 41.37 up to 44, back down to 38. And if you are drinking heavily based on whether a share price is going to go up or down, you're probably going to have an alcohol problem. Because shares do go up and shares do go down. Much like players, either at the major league level or minor league level, have good stretches and bad stretches. If you are drinking heavily, when Ian Happ goes either into a hot streak or a cold streak, you will probably have an alcohol problem. Because Ian Happ is very often on a hot streak or a cold streak. That's how Ian Happ is. Regarding the Cubs trades, regarding the Cubs trades, the Cubs did the research. The Cubs did the research on their own players. I made the list, I made the list, I made the list, I made the list. Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, Trevor Williams, Jake Marisnik, Chris Bryant, Ryan Tapera, Craig Kimbrell, Jack Peterson, and Andrew Chafin. On the flip side, there is Bryce Ball, Daniel Palencia, Greg Dykeman, Bailey Horn, Alexander Vizcaino, Kevin Alcantara, Caleb Killian, Alexander Canario, Nick Madrigal, Cody Hoyer, Anderson Espinoza, and Pete Crow Armstrong. The Cubs did the research as I in the hypothetical. I in the hypothetical did all the research I could or I was willing to do on Strideville, and I decided I would rather have 25 shares of Strideville than I would rather have the money that was necessary to purchase the 25 shares of Strideville. I did the research. I knew what the money was worth to me. I knew what the shares of the company were worth to me. I decided, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to make the stock trade. The Cubs knew what they had in their current players. The Cubs did research on the 12 players I just mentioned like I, in the example, did research on Strideville. 
the Cubs effectively decided we would rather have those 12 guys over here than these nine guys over here. It's what they decided. It's what they decided. So they made the trades. Oh, it hurt. It hurt. It hurt a whole lot. It changed a lot of things. It gave a whole bunch of different people opportunities to show they were their their major league talents or not. Rafael Ortega got a chance to play. Frank Schwindel got a chance to play. Adam Morgan got called up from AAA. Scott Efros got called up from AAA. Whole bunch of new guys got chances to play because the trades were made. Whole bunch of new players were brought into the organization and placed at places such as Mesa, Myrtle Beach, South Bend, Tennessee, Iowa. When a trade is made, whether on the NASDAQ or in MLB, the best you can possibly hope for is virtual complete knowledge of what is available at that time. That's all you can really know. All an executive can know is what can be known. There's no way an executive can know in July what's going to happen in September. Jack Peterson. Where is he going to sign in the offseason? I don't know. I don't know. But by making the trade, by trading away Jack Peterson, they gave Rafael Ortega a lot of chance to play. Rafael Ortega's probably done better than Jack Peterson did with the Cubs. Rafael Ortega's probably done better with the Cubs than Jack Peterson did with Atlanta. Creating the roster spot made it perfectly easy for the Cubs to acquire Frank Schwindel on waivers. Then Frank Schwindel got called up. When Anthony Rizzo got traded, he got to play. And Frank Schwindel did really well. You don't know what's going to happen. When the Cubs traded Jack Peterson, they did not know that they were going to be getting Frank Schwindel on waivers. They did not know that Frank Schwindel was going to have an OPS of right about 1,000 if given a chance. They didn't know that. There is absolutely no way that Jed Hoyer, when he claimed Frank Schwindel on waivers, said, oh, you can book it, baby. He's going to have a 1,000 OPS with the Cubs down the last two months of the season. You can book it. He's going to be Rookie of the Month in both August and September. You can book it. He wasn't saying that. I wasn't saying that. Nobody's saying that. But with Jack Peterson having been traded and a 40-man roster spot available, when Frank Schwindel was available to be claimed on waivers, might as well. Why not? What, what, what's, the, what's the horrible thing? What, what's the, you know... He might be good, he might be bad. He might be average. Might be a whole bunch of those. 
All you can know when you make a trade is what you know. It is completely inconceivable that the Padres fought. Jake Marisnik in the first two months that he was with the Padres was going to have, what, two, three RBIs? There's really no realistic reason that the Padres would have thought that was going to happen. Marisnik made sense for them down the stretch. He made sense. And that's what you're looking for. When a team is making a trade, you're looking for something that makes sense. Makes sense. Something that is logical. Something that will probably work out for the best. Kind of like my Strideville purchase. I do all the research. and Hey, maybe I, maybe I even tell somebody, hey, I bought 25 shares of Strideville. Why the heck did you buy them? Well, I kind of like their, they have good record, whatever the reasons are. And then, maybe Strideville does really well for me, or maybe Strideville absolutely tanks. And then what ends up happening is, if I'm a wise investor from my Strideville purchase, I try to learn something. Next time I purchase shares of stock, perhaps I should buy fewer shares and split it up over two or three purchases. Maybe that might be an idea. Or maybe, geez, I'm just so bad at this. I ought to just stick to um, mutual funds. Let the professionals do the selection process. Or maybe I really enjoyed it. And even though I ended up losing a little bit of money doing it on my own for whatever reason, it was fun. I want to do that again. Each time you do things, you should probably try to take out a lesson from it. The Cubs made a whole bunch of trades because at the time, for the long term, it made sense. I don't know if you've ever bought a share of stock before or not. At some point, if you have the good fortune to have a personal retirement account thing going on, probably it would make sense to buy some shares of stock because that is a way to save for the future. And if there's a company out there that you truly believe in, whatever the reasoning is behind it, it's a good way of doing things. Won't always work, just like baseball trades won't always work. But the idea behind the massive trade of Cubs players, it made sense at the time as they did their homework. So first off, do your homework. Do your own homework. Research whatever it is you need to research. Know whatever you need to know. And roll with it from there. And if something comes up and there's a potential better thing to go with, do that.
Another way to look at the Cubs trades is looking at it from a Wall Street perspective. Just look at it from a Wall Street perspective. And if the Wall Street perspective to you is, I don't understand that. That's not something I do. That's not something I understand. Great, that's fine. I had talked about uh, trying to run this one before. I like to use different methods of um, analogies. Perhaps I would, in a different parallel universe where I'm really good at making like rugs or sweaters or something like that, maybe I go with an analogy comparing the Cubs trades to making a rug or making a sweater. But I don't know jack about making rugs or making sweaters. But I do know some things about trading shares of stock. I've done that before. I know about that a little bit. When you make a decision, you're best off doing all the research possible. And at a certain point saying, you know what, I'm going to do A, or I'm going to do B, or I'm going to do C, or one of the other available decisions. But whichever decision you go with, it's the one that makes sense at the time, long term. Perhaps your decision making is wise. Perhaps your decision making is horrible. Perhaps it works out well in the long run. Perhaps it doesn't. And the two don't necessarily align. You can make a stupid decision, but still have it pay off. You can make a fantastic decision and have a blow up in your face. It just happens that way because life is funny. There's a bit of talk about, well, because this or that or the other thing happened, the Cubs won the trade, or the Cubs didn't won, win the trade, or whatever. The Cubs may or may not win trades in people's eyes. That really doesn't matter a whole lot. What matters is, will the Cubs eventually probably be better because they made the trades now? The Jake Marisnik trade, the Cubs gave up virtually nothing. They gave up Jake Marisnik and then eventually called up um, Michael Hermosillo, who played better than Jake Marisnik. Then Michael Hermosillo got injured for the year, and the Cubs called up Trace Thompson. Trace Thompson, in his short time with the Cubs, was better than Jake Marisnik. Trace Thompson with the Cubs was better than Jake Marisnik was with the Padres. By giving up Jake Marisnik, the Cubs not only added Anderson Espinosa, who may be very valuable in the future, they also cleared a roster spot so, the Cubs, so they could bring up Michael Hermosillo, who outperformed Jake Marisnik. Then, when Hermosillo got hurt, they called up Trace Thompson, who outperformed Jake Marisnik. It's very difficult to draw up any sort of a scenario where the Jake Marisnik trade did not benefit the Cubs. Does that mean the Cubs won the trade? Does that mean the Padres lost the trade? Does that mean... That kind of stuff doesn't matter. Whether someone won the trade, whether someone lost the trade, I occasionally joke about it on Twitter. 
but that's that's water under the bridge that's water under the bridge what makes sense is doing the homework in advance assessing what possibly might be available for a Jake Marisnik. Cubs got a long-term piece for Jake Marisnik, who may or may not pan out. But they also added Michael Hermosillo and Trace Thompson. The Cubs added Anderson Espinosa for Michael Herman, uh, for Jake Marisnik. In 48 at-bats for San Diego, Jake Marisnik had 10 total bases. 48 at-bats, 10 total bases. In 35 at-bats, Trace Thompson for the Cubs had 20 total bases. Trace Thompson didn't replace Jake Marisnik on the roster. Trace Thompson replaced Michael Hermosillo on the roster, who also outperformed Jake Marisnik. When the team makes a trade, it is totally inconceivable to have complete foreknowledge of how the players are going to do. It is completely impossible to know exactly. The goal is, when you make a trade, what is a reasonable expectation from this player we are achieving, uh, obtaining? What is a reasonable expectation for the player that we are letting go of? Jake Marisnik, the Cubs, knew they had players in Iowa. Trace Thompson, Michael Hermosillo, um, Alfonso Rivas, who could be called up, uh, Nick Martini, who could be called up to replace Jake Marisnik. Jake Marisnik, while appealing to San Diego, was basically, from the Cubs' perspective, just another guy. Trade Marisnik, get something for the future, and call up somebody else. Call up someone else. Let someone else have an opportunity to show if they're any good or not. That Michael Hermosillo outperformed Jake Marisnik. That Trace Thompson outperformed Jake Marisnik. That wasn't, that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the expectation. It wasn't because the Cubs are trading Jake Marisnik um, Trace Thompson will most definitely outperform Jake Marisnik down the street. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about that. Marisnik was traded for Anderson Espinosa. How he ends up playing out is what that trade is about, or was about from the Cubs' perspective. Cubs decide, you know what, we'd rather have this pitcher. We'd rather have this pitcher than this fill-in outfield. When teams make trades, they do not have complete foreknowledge of what's going to happen in the future. Just like when I bought 25 fictitious shares of Strideville for 41.37, I have no idea what the share price is going to do. I did enough homework that I was comfortable to make the fictitious trade. The Cubs did enough homework to 
feel comfortable trading away the nine actual baseball players and getting back 12 different actual baseball players. And no, it wasn't popular. It really wasn't popular on Twitter when I type in Cubs trade, when I type in hashtag Cubs. There are quite a few people that still to this day do not like the trades. I understand why. But as I try to find new ways to assess, new ways to give examples of why the trade actually did make sense, it's not going to work for everyone. Nothing is going to work for everyone. Nothing's going to, oh, light bulb moment. Nothing's going to light bulb moment for everyone. Cubs made the trades because it made sense for them long term. And for the baseball fans who don't look at things from a long term perspective and don't even consider the long term perspective, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense ever. However, if some of the players the Cubs did acquire or did end up giving a chance to because they had acquired other players, like Frank Schwindel, who's frankly, Frank Schwindel is in the same laundry basket. Frank Schwindel is in the same laundry basket as the rest of the players in the trades. Frank Schwindel, you might as well have him in the same laundry basket as Bryce Ball, Daniel Palencia, Greg Dykeman, Bailey Horn, Alexander Vizcaino, Kevin Alcantara, Caleb Killian, Alexander Canario, Nick Madrigal, um, Cody Hoyer, Anderson Espinosa, and Pete Armstrong. You might as well just throw in Frank Schwindel in there. Might as well throw in Rafael Ortega, too. The Cubs decided, we're going to try these news, new guys for two months and see which of them belong on the team on into the future. Some of them will, some of them won't. Some of them are going to get non-tendered. So it goes. To assess a trade, know as much information as possible from right up front on both sides and assess whether it makes sense or not. And then if you want to do a thorough job, check back later. And then check back later again. And then check back later again. I guess you can wait until 47 years down line. It's like, oh, gee, you bought Strideville at 41.37 and it went down to 10.09 or it went out of business or it became the new Apple. Yeah, you can wait 10, 12, 14 years to decide and let the baseball reference or fan graphs numbers tell you whether a trade made sense. But then you're not learning any lessons, and I'd much rather learn lessons. I'd rather learn lessons as I go, so in two months or two years or in two decades, I'm better at understanding how this stuff is than I am now. If you wait until after the fact, you're really not learning a whole lot. And I'd rather learn. I'd rather learn and wait until after the fact and wait until well after the fact and decide, 
The Cubs won the trade. Thanks for stopping by. Pre-arb excellence. I'll have another podcast up soon. As circumstances warrant, I'll attempt to have that worth your time as well. Be safe. Go Cubs. Go. And be nice to people.